Hi everyone, I'm Gary Knoll and I'd like to welcome you to a special presentation. This is a continuation of our series on self-empowering, providing tools that allow us to make constructive change in our thoughts and ideas and actions. Today's discussion is on embracing passion. One of the things that I believe we all want more of is the passion. Why? Because passion lets us feel alive. How many times have we experienced something that was so good and when we think about it, it gives us a tingling sensation? Well, one of the things that you can do is just try to recall all the very positive and passionate feelings you've had and see how do you feel because if you connect with something that's authentic for you, you'll feel it. You'll feel it in your very chakras and energy places in the body. No matter how long it's been, you'll still feel it. On PBS there was a series, a very good series, called Doop. Now granted, many of the singers had lost a lot of the uh, range in their voices and they didn't look like they once did, but they could belt it out and we didn't care. Why? Because what they were doing, they were taking songs that we grew up with and they were helping us reconnect something from our past that we enjoyed with something in this moment. That kind of reconnecting sends off all forms of charges in the brain and throughout our body. Hormones start to be measured differently. Proteins vibrate and react. It is a pleasure sensation. And that pleasure creates a sensation of passion. We want to recreate it. So a lot of what we do each day is try to recreate sensations that gave us very special feelings. Now to do that in a positive way is constructive. To do it where we sublimate with artificial stimulation is negative. Morphine cocaine, heroin, crack, alcohol, gambling, a lot of different foods like caffeine, artificial sweeteners, sugar. These also create pleasure sensations, but unfortunately they lead to negative consequences. But we become addicted to the sensation of how we feel. And one of the things that we're not used to is not having a feeling that we have some control over. When you spend a Saturday and you're watching television and you're connected to the energy of what you're seeing, like a football game or basketball game or baseball, there's a sensation. It gives you pleasure. And there's a passion that allows you to look forward to it. In fact, all week you can think, gee, I may not like what I feel now because I'm doing work I don't necessarily like. I'm not connected to it. But I can't wait till the weekend when I can take it easy and I don't have to perform and I can chill out. And so then we start looking for ways that we can create connections. Now think of all the times when you had a relationship and you were connected to the passion in that relationship. You felt good. You felt excited. You couldn't wait to see the person. You couldn't wait to be in their presence because the closer you were, the more intense that intimate feeling was. And it just wasn't sexual. Intimacy is far more profound than sexuality. Intimacy vibrates at the deeper level of our being, the spiritual self. Remember, every one of these hundred trillion cells has a consciousness. If every cell in your body did not have a consciousness, it would know what to do. But you didn't tell your stomach how to digest food. You didn't tell your lungs to breathe or your eyes to blink. So it creates tear ducts. You don't chafe your eyes. You didn't tell the veins to carry the blood back up at a certain rate and the arteries to carry it down. You didn't show how you can take oxygen into a cell and carbon dioxide out of the cell. You didn't show how through peristalsis, the wave-like rhythmic movement, you can move food through the intestine and out the body, but first take out what's important so you're not taking good things out of the body. You're taking dead cells and bacteria and undigested cellulose and fibers. How does it know to do that? How does a hundred trillion cells work in perfect harmony? Always, always for your betterment. It has a consciousness. 
a consciousness that preceded life because there was nothing at birth that was instructive on how you should live your life. Nothing. Your mother didn't teach your heart how to beat or your brain how to think. You had to be born with innate knowledge. Innate knowledge then has to be matched with conditioned response, conditioned wisdom. So now you're born with an energy that is perfect, total harmony. And then we come into a world that challenges us, sometimes environmental challenges like pollutants and vaccines with dimerosol, the mercury, that can overstimulate neurons and disrupt them, causing neurological destruction. We can be fed things we're allergic to that causes colic and, and uh, yeast and infections and urinary problems, ear and ear infections. But in spite of all that, the body does something unique. It still tries to protect you. It's always working on your behalf. It tries to maximize its capacity to repair the damage that you've intentionally inflicted. Now, what belief system honors the body completely? What belief system says that the body and mind and spirit are all connected? Therefore, there's one consciousness, and if we understand the consciousness and we honor it, then we have created harmony with this life. But we are almost always at a disadvantage because society thinks in tribal fashion. We have leaders who dictate, they are the power, and they will tell you what to believe. They'll tell you what to eat. So we're told to eat the basic four food group, but the basic four food group is all wrong. We never needed meat, animal proteins. We never have to eat anything with a heartbeat or a face. In fact, the true vitalism energy is in living foods. But the diet doesn't contain juices or enzymes from sprouts or fruits and vegetables. It doesn't contain the chlorophylls or phytonutrients from plants. It only contains protein and fat, saturated, dead, denatured, and refined carbohydrates, processed to death, empty calories. We become overfed but undernourished. We go to schools that implant in our brain memories and the energy of that memory of good and bad knowledge, rights and wrongs. Things are seen as black and white. And then on top of what is taught in school, our parents, every single thing they do, we're looking at it as if it's real. So we look at our parents and everything they say and how they react, we take on and we mimic in our mind. And then they look at us and they have us behave in certain ways in order for them to feel that we are doing right. So we then we lose the capacity to have any sense of self. We only become an extension of the environmental self. So then we, become, we almost begin to abrogate any sense that we're real and have meaning on our own. We only have meaning by the rewards we're given through the acknowledgement of doing things that are right or being reprimanded or punished for doing things that are wrong. But the right and wrong is not an individual right or wrong, it's a collective right or wrong because society functions from a collective basis with multiple tribes, each tribe having its own unique dynamic. And the dynamic is that the tribe is there to support its leadership, who then directs it. And so we have wars. And why do we have wars? Because one tribe believes that they should have something another tribe has. Land, wealth, slaves. But power is the energy that they use. And power by itself is neutral. What we do with power gives it a vibration. We could use power to give everybody a better quality of life. We could have wonderful homes built throughout the country, whole communities for senior citizens, where they have organic gardens and they have animals for companionship. They have centers where they can continue to be there and their skills that they use throughout their life can now be channeled up over the internet and video conferencing 
so that if there's a troubled teen in a city, they can go in and say, I'm troubled, and what trouble they have, I'm having conflict with my peers, and they type in conflict with peers, and that automatically goes to every sen senior citizen center in the world where there is a senior citizen expert in conflict resolution with peers. And now you have the wisdom, the great mind, with the compassion and love, willing to help you with your problem. You combine the energy of a senior with a youth. You create a connection. Think of what we could do. We have the technology. We have the seniors. But instead of allowing them to still be connected, we disconnect them. Put them on retirements, pensions, in communities, assisted living, nursing homes, hospices, or sitting alone and lonely and disenfranchised and invisible. They didn't do that on their own. We did that because we don't recognize them as unique to the tribe anymore. But there are tribes that the older you get, the more important you become. Look at the Latino family. Look at the Italian family. The older you are, the more important you are. You're not excluded. You're still loved and revered. But where I grew up, that's not true. It was very practical. You weren't thrown out, but no one sought you outside of a, you know, a holiday to acknowledge you. And nobody really wanted to be around you because you no longer had anything you could communicate. You, you couldn't connect. You thought you were more happening, more hip, more aware. They're kind of old. That's how energies can separate from one another. So we no longer have the whole of life. We have taken a part out of it and put it aside. And then we say, but hold on a second. You're black. Um, we've got to take that out because the whole doesn't recognize the uniqueness of individuals. They've separated it. And, and you're poor. And we take that out. You're not educated. You take that out. You don't have the right job. We take you out. You don't have the right background or parents. We take you out. And lo and behold, we started to take the whole and break it into pieces and separate it. And then it's substantially refractionalized after that until one day we wake up and we no longer have anything that's whole in our life. We're just holding on to little bits and pieces and trying to make the bitter, the piece, represent the whole. But it doesn't. It's not authentic. So no matter what we do with this piece, it never makes us feel complete. So we start looking for something to give us that energy of when we did touch, and we all touch multiple realities at some point and recreate it. So we start looking for the, the answer over there. So everything becomes an external journey out. So we start looking for the answer to our pain, that we may suffer in silence or only to our friends. And we start looking through therapies or through eating, gambling, television, working, busyness. But we know we don't feel good when we're sitting alone doing nothing. We need to be motivated to do something. So we think as long as we're doing something that we won't feel the pain. And indeed, it becomes another form of sublimation, busyness. Keeping busy. Now, the trick is, how do you keep busy doing things that really are meaningless to your essential well-being? They're not essential to you, but you've got to make it seem like your busyness is important. But at the end of the day, you've just wasted a lot of life. Well, one way you can do that is try to convince the people around you that you're serious about seeking the truth. So you're out there seeking the truth, trying to fill the void with something meaningful. But you're taking the mind that created the void into the void and trying to find wholeness in a void. It's not going to happen. The mind that creates a problem cannot be the mind that solves it. There must be a new mindset, a new awareness, a new ability to understand what you're really trying to achieve. And I believe that we have lost our passion for authentic life and have connected with a superficial stimulation, anything that stimulates us, loud music, something that is an external, hyper-agitating 
phenomena. So we like our movies violent. We like our action fast. We don't want anything that takes its time. So concepts such as scholarship, mastery, no longer a part of it, instant gratification. So we start seeking ways to get instant gratification. Instant gratification only comes from shortcuts, so we start taking every shortcut there is. Now just imagine you start taking shortcuts, you're going to end up with consequences, and everything's accumulative. So today your shortcut is a hamburger because it's fast. You don't have to go to the health food store and buy stuff and make it. And then you don't want to take a glass of juice, so you get a cola. And then you don't want to really study the English language, so you go through grunts and moans and some kind of you know, guttural expression with gestures. You don't even finish sentences. But you figure someone else will understand what you're saying because they're doing the same thing for you. So you create a whole dialogue based upon laziness. Then you figure, all right, how can I spend my time where I'm not bored? Distraction. So everything becomes a spectator event. You're just paying and going to be stimulated by something out there. So everything then becomes externalized. I'm empty in here. I don't want to be alone. I don't feel comfortable just alone with nothing. So the more things I do to occupy my time, but I don't want people to think that I'm an airhead, so I'll do civic things, or I'll do important things, or I'll work late, or I'll I'll keep busy, and people will praise me. So then you become addicted to the sensation of people praising you. But when they stop praising you, you go through withdrawal, just like a heroin addict, and you feel insecure. And so we, once again, start adding in other sublimations. And the more sublimations we add in, the more imbalanced we become, because everything in life is cumulative. Everything. Every energy you take in becomes a part of you. So think of all the energies you've taken in that were not constructive. Think of anger. Think of resentment. Think of jealousy and envy. Think of all of the times that someone was negative and you allowed yourself to be the sponge for their energy and you just absorbed it. Energy is real. Energy is a vibration and it vibrates with intensity based upon what is in it. That's why we have some energies that we just feel good and other energies where we feel bad. Right now we have more energies that make us feel bad than good. That's why we have so many Americans who are sick. 131 million Americans are overweight. We have 70 million Americans suffering from such severe emotional trauma that they're diagnosed with mental illnesses. 70 million. Well, you're talking about over one-third of the American population are really sick. And all of this is preventable, but it's all based upon the energy. You eat a hot dog, a hamburger, french fries, pizzas, sugar. You talk with negative, depressed, angry people. All of that is junk food emotion. And you become it because you've taken it in. Everything you take in, you become. So ask yourself, how many times have you tolerated, even looked for, people to communicate with who were going to only tell you their problems. Whine, moan, complain, blame, anger. Well, if they did that and you were around them, that's what you become. Now you're connected with trillions of energies. And every one of those energies is flashing a vibration. It has a memory of what it experienced. And now you know that something's not right, so you start fantasizing. And the fantasy is, let me create an illusion of a better place, a better time, a better relationship I will make, I will form in my mind the ideal relationship. I will, I will fulfill my fantasy. Well, the trouble is when you meet reality, the fantasy doesn't fit. Here is the fantasy and here's reality and one doesn't match the other. Now you become discouraged. And when you see that the real world rarely allows us the opportunity to match our illusion, with the reality of what we need, then the illusion is kept and the reality is surrendered and we adapt. Society says you'll be rewarded for adapting to a bad situation. So we make all of America one big service community. 
We're all about servicing you. Oprah is about servicing. Dr. Phil is about servicing. Psychiatry, psychology, medicine, religion is about servicing you. Buying what you can't afford, spending what you don't have, and creating debt that's going to stretch you is about servicing. Everyone's there to sublimate, and sublimating is servicing. Las Vegas services you. Pornography services you. Drugs and alcohol service you. The chocolate cake services you. The person on the other end of the phone listening to your complaining services you. Most relationships are based upon people staying together because they share a common insecurity and fear. That's servicing. And as long as you adapt to it, you're adapting to the weakness, you're creating imbalance because adaptation creates imbalance. And then one day you've adapted to so many things. Well, you're getting older, so you have to adapt. So we even take on a culture of adaptation. All the commercials you see on television for people over 40 are, well, you're hemorrhoids, they're, they're itching, and, and your bladder, you can't control, so you've got to wear pampers, and you're drooling, and you, you, you've got heartburn. Nobody tells you, hey, you're eating the wrong foods and beverages. They say, take this antiacid. Better still, this is the most powerful one on the market. That means more side effects, but quick, instant relief. So don't stop eating that food. You know, like the commercial, the guy's eating all the food. Nobody says, fool, look what you're eating. What are you eating that for? You're eating dead meat. Would you eat a piece of meat that was laying on a curb at 97 degrees temperature for three days? No. Well, take a look in your intestine after three days at 97 degrees. Same thing as eating it. If it's dead, you bury it. You don't eat it. But we just take in something that relieves the symptoms, but we've created a cause, disease. We have not given the cells something to vibrate at a high level and have a good sensation. We've given it something that denatures it. The cell is crying out, connect me with something that's authentic. And instead, we put in something that causes more disease. But it's slow and progressive. How can we change this? How can we get back to what's authentic and get our passion for life back? Our passion to explore, our passion to experience, our passion to allow the wonderment of life that each day we wake up and say, wow, what can I experience today that is new and original today? Because if you don't, all you have tomorrow is today repeating itself endlessly. And your pain is just a repetition of yesterday. Your insecurity, yesterday. Your judgments, yesterday. Looking at people from the eye of a person who has been fractionalized, yesterday. And then we exclude those people. So think of all the people we exclude who could be a wonderful part of our life because we're carrying on yesterday's activities as if they were still important today. You have to recreate your life every single day all new. And to do that, you have to realize you are not the same person. Everything's changed. Your cells have changed. Everything's changed. Your biochemistry is changing. It's just we only see it in quantum effects. When you go from 30 to 40, boy, do you see it. When you go from 40 to 50, wow, do you see it. But we don't pay attention to we didn't get from 30 to 40 without process. And at any given day, we could have interfered in the process and changed it. But our conditioning says, no, don't do something that radical. Now, they don't consider the alcohol and the pizzas and the sugar and the obesity and the heart disease and the cancer and the arthritis and the depression radical. But they consider exercise and de-stressing and changing your diet. That's radical. Isn't it amazing? Even how we talk about a situation alters and affects what we're willing to do and not do. We find it more convenient to pledge allegiance to a sustained effort than realizing the only thing we have in life is the moment we're in. You have nothing else but this moment. And yet you're trying to build a relationship that lasts. You're trying to build a career that lasts. You're trying to get security for something for the future. There is no future. There is no security out there. All there is is the moment you're in. Now, if you did something meaningful with the moment you're in, then there's a good likelihood that the next moment you're going to have is going to be better than the moment before what you did. So if I decide to make positive choices right now, 
that allows me then to know that tomorrow my choices will not be necessarily burdened by all the things I did wrong. So if I exercise today, my body's going to show it tomorrow. If I eat right today, my body will show it tomorrow. If I think right, my body and my brain will show it tomorrow. If I take on the right attitude and reject, do not accept what I don't want to be, then I will show it tomorrow. But that takes courage, standing up and saying, no, I don't want that energy in me, and I have a right not to have it. Remember, you have a right to reject any energy that doesn't honor you. But it has to honor me spiritually and emotionally and mentally, physically, creatively. And how much junk food of conversation have you taken in? Junk food of emotion have you taken in? Well, you can't live off junk food. You become obese and sick. And it's no different than the junk food of what we try to share. And you keep looking for some permanent relationship at some connection to create an authentic life for you. And there's no, nothing authentic in trying to create the perfect, perpetual life out there. And we were meant to have multiple stimulations. We were meant to be in the moment and experience life in the moment. But society can't handle that. Society cannot handle your freedom. It's too dangerous. The last thing society can handle is someone who has free expression, free will. It will challenge the very stability of every major institution in our society. So it has to control you, and it controls you through guilt and fear. Guilt and fear are the bookends that keep you doing the predictable and the damaging. They want you to drink the cola, even though your liver is going to be hurt, your kidneys ruined, your stomach ruined, gastric reflux, because then they'll give you a drug or a medicine to service you for something you could have prevented, and they help cause. First they create the disease, then they mistreat it. And then they complain about all the symptoms without ever looking at the cause. And that doesn't happen unless you're complicit. You have to give your power over, which means you're taking someone else's belief, allowing it to connect with you, and then vibrating your whole life. Your consciousness must exclude everything. You can only be myopic. You have to see only what the leader of your tribe says you should see and do. Even when intuition, the spirit telling you, speaking out, and you stop it. Even when common sense, you stop it, suppress it. Even when rational thought, you repress it and go upon belief, what you're connected to. And then one day you look around and think, whoa, we are a lot of people in denial of the truth. We thought the so-called experts would give us the answers, but all these experts, these professors and scientists and, and public policymakers and religious leaders, we look around at the whole world, we see an awful lot of confusion and mess, and they have told us that it was right, and we, on, we trusted them, and it was wrong. We were lied to. We were told not to trust these people, so we didn't listen and to these people. And these people had the answer. Think of the people who said, eat your fiber. They were called health nuts, remember? Think of the doctors who said, use chelation and vitamin drips. They were considered quacks. Think of the environmentalists like Rachel Carson and others who said, don't pollute your environment. Think of the people who wanted peace for everyone, respect and honor life. They were considered delusional, naive. No, they were right, but they didn't have the power. Power will not share itself. It will only manifest. It will reward those who are the most true believers. Think of how many times you have made a positive choice and tried to influence the people you love, and they just wouldn't listen to you. I couldn't help my mother and father, couldn't help anyone in my family, couldn't help my brother, because they didn't believe that what I was saying was right. They were proud of me for being successful, but they had never opened a book and read it, because their belief system would allow them that freedom. Because after all, if they believed in me, they wouldn't have smoked or drank. They wouldn't have eaten meat and not exercised. They would have lived differently and they'd still be alive. 
So my belief system that I grew up with killed my parents. But it kills everyone. And that same belief system makes you feel that you need a relationship in order to be whole and happy and healthy. And now the only relationship you should have in life that's meaningful is with yourself. Because that's the only one you're responsible for that you can have a positive influence on. Then, if you're able to meet other people who are themselves in balance and working their own dynamic, then you can share moments, and all you have are moments. And when you share a moment and you find that passion and that excitement and that feeling generates, you're going to be remembering it and recreating it. And part of what you're going to want to do is do it over again. And you know the problem when you want to do it over again? It's never the same. And now you're questioning it. Yeah, it didn't feel the same. Uh, and then you start wondering, why isn't it the same? Well, because it's not the same. This moment's not the moment that was yesterday's moment. You can never eat the same meal twice, even if it's the same recipe. Everything changes. And we want to recreate all those previous moments. So most of our life is spent trying to recreate something to give us a sensation that we really enjoyed. But we can't. And then we get angry because we've tried to make everything a duplication, a carbon copy. I want more of the same. And the only thing that can come close to it is an artificial stimulation, because that doesn't change. And that's why we rely upon the addictive behavior of artificial stimulation. And then we surrender trying altogether. We just become complacent. We say, okay, I can't change the way I want. I can't feel the way I want, so I really don't care. And then we disconnect from believing we can make a difference in our own lives, because we feel we haven't. Because no matter how hard we work and we do, we still don't feel fulfilled. We still feel emptiness. We're still trying. All the people I know who are successful, they're also empty. And you ask them to spend a day alone, they would go out of their skin. Watch a baby boomer go on a vacation with a cell phone, right? They can't be just present. They can't. I go down to Jamaica, uh, I just lay in a hammock and that's it. <laughs> I'm just in a hammock and looking at the ocean. And I don't, we, no, we got to go, look, we got Dingman's Falls, we got to, no, I don't have to go anywhere. I'm here. I'm happy. Goodbye. But I got to go see everything. People try to do everything and they come back from vacations exhausted. They need a vacation from their vacation, right? And then the weekend comes, instead of resting on the weekend, we try to get everything done. Oh, thank God, now I can do 55 things that I didn't get done during the week. And then we're exhausted. We're exhausting the basic energy of our chi. And the chi is what you have to rejuvenate. And the chi can't be rejuvenated by busyness. The chi, your essential life force, can only be rejuvenated through quiet, reflective, contemplative stillness. You have to just be alone, be with nature, then you rejuvenate. And yet we're running out to do yoga, and then I'll do meditation, and then I'll go get my wheatgrass, and then and you're exhausted at the end of the day. And enough to be happy, you end up exhausted. Looking for more of what you once had as if that's going to fill you up. So let's take some steps in our journey. Let's see what we can do to bring us a little closer to living an authentic life. Even if we go through pain, remember, the more that you resist changing, the more you fight the changes you should need, the greater your pain's going to be. Pain doesn't come from change. Pain doesn't come from make a positive choice. Pain comes from holding on to the old choice and trying to let go of it. It's like ripping your skin off, letting go of some of these old habits. And that's where pain comes from. Being in the moment, there's no pain. There's no confusion. There's no stress. You're just in the moment. You're not judging it. And what you're not judging, you can accept, and it's in the moment. Accepting being in the moment allows you to be present for your own experience. But we're bringing a judgmental mind to all of our experiences. And if we don't have our mind, we're asking other people, I did that, what do you think? I don't know, why'd you do that? I don't know. How do you feel? I don't know, how should I have felt? What'd you feel? It's like the presidential debate. Who do you think won? I don't know. Who do you think won? I don't know. What'd you think of it? I don't know. Let's ask an expert. 
They don't know. <laughs> I don't have to have anybody tell me what I like. I don't need an interpreter. I'll experience it for myself and I'll make my own judgment. And I'll stay neutral till I do experience it. I'll let the experience dictate whether I liked or didn't like it. I don't go to a movie because a critic says go to it. I go to it and I experience it and I either like it or I don't like it. You know, it's that simple. I'll try a recipe. I'll like it or not like it. If I don't like it, I'll try to change it until I do like it. I'll master it. And repetition, mastery. Repetition, mastery. We have lost the capacity to master the energy. And without mastery, we don't go forward. That requires discipline. And it requires confidence to be in the moment. And then one day, if you are willing to have discipline and mastery and combine your passion to drive it, the fuel to drive it is passion, then one day you wake up and you're really, you're really more open. You're way up here in openness. Your whole life is changing for the better. But if you don't do mastery and if you don't have that discipline, if you don't focus upon what's essential, if you don't take that inner journey, nothing's going to change. It's going to be positive, just more the same. So here are some questions I'd like you to focus on. Do you have awareness but no passion? A lot of people can talk you to death about anything. They can even talk you to death about emotions. But they have no passion. Because their passion is inside of a box. And the box is surrounded by guilt and shame, fear and insecurity. So how do you open the box if it's totally protected by beliefs that have been forced upon us that we've accepted as real? If you don't open the box, your real passion will never be explored. So we play a game. We play the game that my emotions should equal my reality. Let me tell you something. Your emotions are almost never real. Almost never real. They're part of the theater of our abstract existence. They're an illusion. And people play upon our emotions, don't they? All the time. When people want you to buy something, they play upon your emotions. When they want you to believe in something, they create fear. Boy, doesn't fear get people to galvanize together? Even if it's unreal, even if it's taken out of any realistic context, people abrogate their whole rights and power to someone else because of fear. You've got to have nothing surrounding you in order for you to express your capacity to be. And then that's real. Actualize, don't theorize, don't intellectualize. We talk a problem to death. Talking won't change it. Actualizing it will. I'm a doer, not a confessor, complainer, whiner, moaner, blamer, or talker. How many times in your life have you talked something to everyone who would listen and it didn't change a thing, did it? I call them the confessors. People who have to confess everything to everybody. Figuring if they confess everything to everybody, they'll get empathy. And the empathy then gives them a connection with people. It gives them a vibration, an empathetic vibration. Then they take on the, the whole emotion of a victim. Therefore, they suffer. Therefore, every time you meet them, hi, hi, uh, up, bad again, it's bad again. <laughs> Didn't we go through this before? I know, what can I tell you? <laughs> and it's a game. Do you spend more time an effort seeking happiness or avoiding suffering. Most people spend their time trying to avoid suffering. That's why we live defensively. That's why we don't stand out and be counted for our beliefs. I don't care what people think of me. I'm going to say what I believe is the truth. I'm going to say what I believe is important. I remember once I got up in front of an audience and it was over at um, a synagogue in Brooklyn. And I've been invited there. I have a lot of Orthodox Jewish people in my audience. And I started talking about the suffering of a cow when they're killed. And it doesn't matter whether they're ritually slaughtered or not. They still suffer. And I'd recorded a cow that was ritually suffered. And people, I knew they were going to argue the issue because their beliefs told them it doesn't suffer. Well, the belief isn't real. 
the suffering of the cow is. So I showed how the cow was yanked up by a chain. You could hear all the bones cracking in its arm, its, its leg as it was pulled up. The whole weight is on this bones, and, and it was crying out, and the cut in the throat didn't kill it the first time, and it was bleeding out. It takes time to bleed out. And I said, you're aware that you could cut off your head and hold it up like the French did in the guillotines and the English, and for up to a minute, you're fully conscious, even though your head is cut off. So imagine having your head cut off and severed and being shown to a crowd, and you're fully aware that your head is cut off, and the crowd's looking at you because there's still blood and oxygen in the brain. Scary thought, isn't it? Well, there's, when things are killed, there's a crisis in the body. All of these hundreds of trillions of cells go into crisis. And there's an energy of crisis. So when you eat meat, you're eating crisis energy, no matter what excuse they wrap it in. But people will try to think, well, it doesn't matter. It's like, you know, going after an enemy of 10 soldiers in a village and killing 200 people in the village to get to the 10 soldiers. Well, it was, you know, acceptable casualties. Well, not to the people who got killed. And then we don't even feel anything more for them once we get the logo that we got to kill those people in order to kill those people. We no longer feel the concern for the suffering. We're only concerned for our objective. That's the kind of myopic thinking that we use in our society for almost all problems. Next, we wait for that something to happen to ignite our interest, to inspire us to action. We whine and complain like spoiled children for something we are not prepared to do. Again, we wait for that something to happen as if something's got to happen to us. We have to be saved. We have to be rescued. We have to be helped from something out there, someone out there. And all we can do until that happens is whine about our circumstances. No one's going to come and save you. You've got to become highly proactive. It's your life. You're the only one who's going to be responsible for self-actualizing. And we keep looking for the isms. I'll become a vegetarian. So vegetarianism, or I'll become a communist. Communism, or I'll become Catholic, Catholicism. We're always looking for an ism to redeem our life and redeem our suffering, to give us our answers. So once again, we go on a journey outside of ourselves. Now, it's not that these isms don't have things of value. They do. But no system out there is as valuable as the one in here. It's got to start in here. Next, distraction diminishes the effort and the results. Distraction diminishes the present moment. You must stop the distractions in order to focus upon what you really need to connect with. If I want something to change, if I want to connect with my happiness and passion and joy, I've got to stop all the things that are keeping me from doing it. And yet every day people load up their life with so many distractions, there's no time for this journey. Well, I've got to work and I've got to take care of the kids and I've got to walk the dog and I've got to you know, go to the store. And next thing you know, they have a whole idea that their life is nothing more than a to-do list of responsibilities. And most people feel that, thank God I'm going to retire because I no longer have all those responsibilities. So they almost look forward to retirement as a safe place to eliminate the responsibilities. Isn't that a terrible way of living? You're almost looking forward to diminishment of life instead of saying, what can I do with my life to still be responsible? You have children, you have to be responsible. In your relationship, you have to be responsible. But how can you keep anything from being a distraction? You can still be responsible and not be distracted. And the only way you can do that is take a look at everything in your life and see what in your life is a distraction. And check it off. And then take it out. For every distraction that you eliminate, you have allowed yourself free time, freedom. 
Time is freedom. If you don't have time, you don't have freedom to be. And that's what frustrates us. We're so caught up in trying to fill our time with things that we can justify as meaningful, and hence our life becomes a meaningful existence because we have meaningful work or meaningful relationship or meaningful responsibilities. That's, a, that's an illusion. You can have the most responsible work and responsibilities in the world, and it doesn't mean that your life is authentic. One of the frustrations is trying to feed a shadow of self, where all your energy goes into the shadow of self, none goes into the real self. So all your efforts are for nothing, because at the end of the day, you're still empty, because you fed the wrong self. You fed the socially controlled self instead of the authentic self. So stop the distractions. Because remember, when you distract yourself, you can't live this moment over again. Next, do not allow others' narrow view and limitation to become yours. And how many times have people told us you can't do something, you shouldn't do something, because they wouldn't do it? Well, if I took that view, I'd still be in West Virginia, in my small hometown. I'd be working in the O'Ames shovel factory like all my other in-laws, and I'd be as miserable as they were. But they adapted to that. They looked at Sunday and Canasta as the saving grace for a week that was miserable for them. But they didn't believe it could be better. They believed they were meant to be that. When they got older, they didn't believe you could change, though they didn't. Let me explain this, that everything you believe becomes a reality in your brain. And that belief, positive or negative, can manifest in health, happiness, or sickness and disease. So be very careful about what you believe in. So try to believe in the best that you can be, the greatest moments, the happiest, the healthiest. I run fast. I've won over 600 races. Why? Because before I race, I race in my mind. I see it. And once I see it, it becomes my reality. And I keep focused on it. And I just keep honoring that energy. I remember once I was in a race, and it was in New Jersey, and it was the National 40K Championship race. And there were about 135 athletes, most of whom were champion athletes. You don't go into a national championship race, especially at 40K, which is 24.8 miles, unless you're a champion. And the best athletes in America in my age group were there. And about six miles into this race, my buddy said, wow, it's a hot day. It's really going to be tough. And instantly I felt the energy drain. Like, wow, it's tough. And now it gives you an excuse. Because your fatigue starts in the brain, not the muscles. So I thought to myself, no, this is an opportunity to challenge the belief. So I said, no, it's a great day and the sun is energizing me. I want it to get hotter. The hotter it gets, the more power I'm going to have. So I kicked in. And I just left him in the dust, and I just started moving. And people said, some of the other judges and people said, Gary, you're going too fast. You're going to burn out. You're going to burn out. And I said, no, I'm going to burn up the track. I'm not going to burn out. And I got faster and faster. And every time we come to a hill, I said, hill, you're my friend. The hill energizes me, and I go right up that hill. And about the 18th mile, the lead athletes, who were the national champions, saw me. And I came right up and went right by him. At the end of the race, I was about two minutes ahead of the guy in second place. And it was the first time that a master athlete won a national 40K race. And I set an American record that day, won the race. Overall, of all Americans, of all age groups, I came in first. How is that possible? Because I believed it was possible. Had I not believed it, I wouldn't have created it. So what you believe, you can create. If you also have the discipline to master what you believe. If you don't master it, then you won't fulfill it. Having just a belief doesn't do us any good unless we put it to the test. But we want what we want, and we want it in a different way. We don't want to master it. No, I don't want that. I want something different. Well, then you're going to end up right where you came from, and that's just a big pile of mud. 
Nothing interesting about that. That's just the same old, boring, same old. And everything I've ever done in my life, I've done against the odds of it happening because I put my mind to it, and with that mind, I allowed the energy to become a reality, and the reality in my cell and the reality in my energy became the reality of what I actualized. So every truth starts with a belief that it's true and then manifest it. The self-actualization, the positive thought, with the right discipline, will allow it to become a reality. And when you believe that you can survive, you can. If you believe the doctor says you've only got two months, two days, 18 seconds to live, you'll die exactly then. Because you've allowed that person's reality to become yours. So be very careful about the reality you accept. So you're living a confluence of different beliefs. On the one hand, you believe because you're an artist that you've got this unique capacity. But your art artistry is based upon a conditioned response to being artistic for the society you live in because that's how you pay your bills. But then you're looking for a relationship to support your emotional emptiness. And then, you, uh, then you're confused by everything that starts breaking down and no ideals and optimally lived up to. Well, how can it be? It's not your reality. It's everyone else's reality that you're participating in. Where's uniqueness of self? That's why to be thin, you have to think thin. To be healthy, you have to think healthy. I just did my pedance in there, and I have 2% body fat. At 180 and 6 foot 2, I'm 2% body fat. Why am I not 20% body fat? Because I choose not to be. That's a choice. And I have to keep visualizing what my ideal body should be. I want my mind to be able to create, not be passive. So I choose not to watch television. I choose not just to sit around and listen. I choose to be active with what I want to create. How do you think I wrote 80 books and 500 articles and 100 videos, 16,000 broadcasts, counseled 50,000 people, done 2,000 lectures? How do you think that happens? Because I don't distract myself. And I believe 100% in me when no one else did. I came from a poor background. Poor. Real poor. But I didn't believe I should stay poor. And I didn't think poor. And I didn't think victim. And that's why I can be so generous with my time and my energy. That's why I can counsel people for free. I've never charged a human being a nickel for counseling. Who else who else do you know in America who would be the most famous nutrition and health authority would not exploit that to get the maximum dollars? Everyone you know would exploit that. Everyone has exploited that. Chiropractors exploit it. <laughs> Anybody who can. As many patients as much money. Right? The idea in America is if you've got something, exploit it. What if instead of exploiting it, you want to give it away? Well, then you're stupid. No, you're not stupid because you're not afraid of loss and you don't believe in shortages and you're not motivated from fear. You're like a river to the people who need you. You never stop flowing with the energy. But people think, I can't do anything. Well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? I got to take care of me. Then you get the insecurity and the greed. I can't give it away. It's worth something. And then we start bartering value. So the person that's most famous charges the most. And then everyone else who's not famous has to pay what they can't afford. And we start artificially inflating real estate and stocks and clothes. A designer outfit costs what to make? hundred bucks? Charges thousand dollars? Two thousand dollars? Five thousand dollars? Next. Do you work at controlling or creating the external activities with the hope that if successful, the recognition you receive will overcome and replace your inner security, doubts, and fears? So quite simply, do you believe that what you do out there 
will make you feel more secure in here. And if that's the case, then you're going to try to control everything that people think about you. You'll try to control through your actions, your vocabulary, what you do for people. But that's a game. That means that you're not authentic and honest. It means that you're trying to put on an image because you want to control the reverse image that people see of you. Why do you think that so many relationships fall apart? It's not that anyone changes. People don't change as such in a relationship. It's what they reveal that you didn't know at the beginning. And the more comfortable someone becomes in a relationship, the more they're willing to reveal about who they really are. Or we discover who they really are. And then we find ourselves, whoa, I didn't know this was there. Now you've got to try to adapt to it and handle it. And then one day it just becomes so overwhelming in the negative, you just say no, and you let go of it. But before you let go of it, there's a whole lot of whining, complaining, blaming, moaning, a whole lot of doubt, insecurity. But part of our redemption comes through suffering. And the more we suffer through working on something, the more people appreciate us. Oh, we're in a relationship, it's all working. You know, he's had an affair and she's cheated and, and he's a sociopath and, you know, she's a manic depressive and, and he has bad breath and she never washes, but, um, but they're working on it. <laughs> they're sticking with it. Okay, as long as they stick with it. Hello? It's just an illusion. Get back to the moment. If you're in a moment and you're honest, Look for the honesty and authenticness around you and see what matches. Matching energies allows you to feel the completeness of the moment. If all I can do is make someone else responsible for trying to make me happy, then that's a false relationship. That'll never work, no matter how hard people try. It's scary to think that you're that powerful, that within yourself you can be complete. Because we're made to believe that we're nobody without somebody else, without the right job, the right clothes, right friends, right place, right acceptance. So we're striving constantly for external acceptance. And I'm saying the external acceptance is not material. The internal acceptance is to love yourself, to love yourself completely, unconditionally. Then what's going to shake you? Your roots will go so deep the spiritual root, the emotional root, that any crisis that comes, you'll just smile and say, the universe has given me another lesson to learn, and I'll learn from this lesson. I'll be a better person, a stronger person, a wiser person because of this crisis. So crisis will be stepping stones, not something to cause you to go to pieces and look for a sublimating outside way of tranquilizing your pain. Last question. Our belief allows only for our truth. Hence, everything else is not true. Again, our belief tells us what is true. Everything that they don't tell us is true becomes untrue. Therefore, we fear any truth other than our own. So if there's holistic medicine that has a truth, we can't accept it. If yoga is a truth, we can't accept it. If organic food is the truth, we can't accept it. If someone trying to propose how to solve world problems and conflicts with peace as a deterrent rather than weapons as a deterrent, we cannot accept it. Any truth that is uniquely your own that does not match the system you're a part of will be rejected. And the strength of your character, the strength of your vital force must be questioned and say, what am I going to believe in, my truth? or that truth. Almost every truth that you've been told by major institutions, examine them objectively and fairly and you'll find that they're half-truths or full lies. I can't blame them for misleading us for their own needs to maintain their power and control over us. I can ask us what keeps us within the known when the known has not honored who we are. It's our responsibility then to find the truth in our own lives. You have to know what you're doing and living that is a lie. If you've been eating french fries and pizzas and hot dogs and hamburgers and think that that's what your body needs, that's a lie. Disease 
will be the outcome. <coughs> disease will be the lesson of the lie. The reward for the lie is disease. Seek the truth of what your body needs. Seek the truth of what your mind needs. And you'll know what is nourishing. The lie denourishes, denatures. It's devoid of positive substance. Think of the conversations where there's anger, hatred, jealousy, envy, greed, and you'll see the lie. It does not benefit you to embrace it. The truth is, don't be envious, don't be jealous, don't be greedy. Be supportive of the best that people can be. But no one's going to be better than what you expect of them. You cannot improve your performance in life to raise your expectation. Expectation leads performance. So if you want to have a better life, you must focus upon a higher level of expectation. And that means you have to get out of your comfort zone. Our comforts predict that we're not going to be doing anything that would change our circumstance. Comfort addiction is the number one addiction. We have to live beyond our comforts. Go into discomfort. Embrace discomfort. Embrace pain. Learn its lesson and then move forward from there. At the end of a day, what is most essential is what you communicate by connecting in an authentic way with someone. When you connect with authentic energy, you don't have to explain it. You don't have to discuss it. It's a knowing that transcends any other form of communication. Look for the truth in all things. Look for honesty in all things. Become authentic in everything you do and seek. Believe in the completeness of your being. Then master it. And let none of the distractions and voices and conditioning interfere in the process. And wake up one day, look in the mirror, and you're a different human being. Thank you all very much. Mm -hmm.